and they know that they have the platform today. And do any of you want to just start off? There you go. She said, sure. All right. So pretty much as you guys know, Haiti is a very poor country, and there's a lot of need in Haiti. And you guys look probably look at pictures, and you could imagine um, just the devastation over there after the earthquake and stuff like that. Um, a, lot, a lot of it has gotten better since the earthquake, but even then it's still probably the poorest country I've ever, I've ever seen. And I, I've been fortunate that I've been able to travel a bit, and I've been to the world countries before, but I've never seen anything like what I've seen in Haiti. Um, there, were, there was people that they were living in, you, they call them homes, but it's basically either a tent or they have like cement blocks and a little roof over their head. They use the bathroom where they sleep. It's, um, it's definitely something that's eye-opening, especially now almost, it's like being back at church and sitting here in air conditioning and, and even seeing all this, it's nice and everything, but it just makes me think of how everything is over there and how they worship it. We think that we're here in a warehouse and this isn't a, a fancy church, but this is like, this is a mega church in comparison to what a church is over there. Um, this is this is luxurious in comparison to the, we were in like 110 degree it, well it was like 100 degrees outside but it, when inside the church it's like 110 degrees there's no ac um everything's very dirty and people just worship god and they love god like you've never seen and they don't complain um it's just something that i don't know it's changed my life forever uh being here now i'm like i'm like it's too cold it's we should we should be suffering now to come to church like it, it sucks that we struggle so much to make it to church in the morning because we, we're comfortable here. Why, why is it so hard to make it here on Sunday morning? And over there, they're all so uncomfortable and they make it to church. And um, we, we take a lot for granted. And I, I, this is my first missions trip. And before Adrian's been many times, and I remember I would see him come up here and talk, and he would, he would always share a lot. And I remember I would sit down just like you guys are, and I would see him talk, and I would sort of... I was sympathetic, but I didn't really feel any empathy towards these people. Um, but being there for yourself, it opens your eyes in a whole different way. Um, right now, I can imagine how, how you guys are thinking of it. It's, it's almost like it's distant to you guys, because you guys, we could explain things to you guys, but you guys weren't there to understand and really see it for yourselves. But um, I don't know if you guys want to share anything to add to that. First, I wanted to say bonjour. <laughs> um, the language was definitely a barrier for us since they are Creole speaking uh, but we did have fantastic translators so I want to kind of praise them for that as well um, and like Lewis was saying yes it's very very poor over there the conditions their living conditions are unfathomable I mean it's it's kind of crazy and I was just talking to my mom this morning and, you know, telling her that I'm, I've seen that poverty because I'm from Bolivia and it is a third world country. It's very poor. But it was different for me in the sense that I'd never been into one of these poor villages and actually, you know, um, been with the people, helped the people out. So that to me was a test. It was my testimony, just helping these people. and. Um, being by side by side with them and then being in the mobile clinic and being able to help them uh, physically and then spiritually. Uh, 
this is also my first mission trip, and before this trip, I had never prayed over anyone. So that to me was kind of something that made me nervous. Everybody was asking me before, oh, are you nervous? And it's like, I'm excited, but I was nervous about that. You know, I had never prayed for someone, and I knew that besides doing the clinical work I had to do and that I loved to do, I would have to, you know, kind of step up and start praying again. I did, I did it, and after the first time, it just became easier and easier for me, and it was all in the grace of God, so I'm very happy for that. I guess it's my turn? Yeah, all right. Um, so yeah, we were in a mobile clinic most of the time, Tanya and I, Lewis came the first day, and I guess one of the biggest things that we all we all took note of was, uh, Rudy, I don't know if you could put up the pictures that I gave you of the clinic just so you get an idea. No, okay, no worries. Um, you, have, you, have a, you have a few also where, where them two are together at the, that I gave you at the mobile clinic. Yeah, just the main thing I wanted to, like, something that impacted a lot of us was the fact that these people were waiting all day in the heat and in a packed line, um, and that they really probably didn't need medication, some of them. But they would wait all day, and at the end of the day, they would get a pack of Tums and say thank you. And that's it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm waiting about 15 to 20 minutes in the doctor's office, I am frustrated. I'm going back up to the, to the little table, telling them, it says do not knock on glass. I'm pounding on the glass. But um, that, was, that was huge, you know? Oh, that was the medical team. And so, like Tanya was saying, before, <laughs> Before we went to the trip, she was like, she was all about going to the trip, all about helping, all about so many things. And I, I've gone before, so I, I, have a, I have an idea of what it's like. And the main thing, she was like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to pray for anyone. And I would just be like, I would just stay quiet. So I'm in the middle of seeing a patient. Um, and all of a sudden, I just kind of, I was in between. I think they walked away, and I glanced over. And it was like the beginning of the first day. And Tanya's already, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> And I swear, for a brief second, I, 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 my, I balled up, and I was like, oh, oh, we got to get this together. All right. <laughs> and went back to the next patient. Um, honestly, and something else I wanted to say, all of this is awesome, and we thank you for it. But um, <laughs> it was, and I speak for the three of us, it's an honor to go out there. If you guys get the chance to go, um, and it happens every time. You go and you think that you're going to help and do so much, but the work that it does in you is huge. I mean, we come back here right away. I got in my car, and I was like, I drive this thing? Like, this is awesome. And we got the house was too cold, and there's food in the fridge. Even when we landed at the airport, you just see the difference right away. As the plane is landing, you just see there's civilization, there's structures, and you're, it's, it's shocking. And I think it's just that we take it for granted. So that's why I tell people, like, if you have the opportunity, you know what? You will have the opportunity. You will have the opportunity. And you have to make sacrifices to say, I want to go. God's called me to go. And I don't care who you are in here, God has called you to go. That's my belief. That's my belief. Because when you go, it changes you. It changes the, the way you worship. It changes the way you look at God. These people, the, we were in 
the, in the, the dorms that we were in, and the water started trickling. We were running out of water to take a shower. You should have heard, you should have seen Lewis frantically pacing around. <laughs> he was freaking out. We, we were dirty the entire week. It was beyond dirty. Um, uncomfortable, but at the same time, I feel like in all that, we, we were happy. Yeah, we had joy, I don't know. We. Yeah, yeah. There was a moment where the water ran out that I might have panicked a little bit, but for the, for the most part, I didn't, I didn't really care that I was dirty. I would hug kids that were, were naked and they were filthy and you just, you just forget about everything. You forget about everything that, ma that matters here and germs and all these things out the window. Um, I wanna share a story that happened that first day in the medical clinic um, with Natasha. That um, there was this girl named Natasha that she went with us and she was serving God with them and doing the medical stuff. And I, I joined them that day, but I was just doing like the prayer stuff with Pastor Leo and a few other people. But I remember there was a moment that she came up to us and she said, um, I just accidentally stabbed myself with a dirty needle. And that was a moment where like, she just came up to us and she kind of didn't know what to do. So we, Pastor Leo prayed for her and then um, it was amazing because you're on, you're on a mission. When you're on this trip, you're, you, you really don't care about anything. She brushed it to the side and on our last day, we were sharing testimonies and stuff and Pastor Leo was like, can I share that testimony? She's like, what testimony? What, what you, she had completely forgotten that that happened to her. So it's just amazing. Like when you're, on the, when you're doing God's work, you, things happen and you just have so much faith at the moment that it's not going to be anything. That it, whatever it is happened for a reason and it was just the enemy trying to distract and, and bring fear. But at the end of the day, we all just believed and prayed and we didn't worry about it. And the coolest <laughs> part about that story is she stuck herself with a dirty needle. First of all, if you stick yourself with a dirty needle in the United, a dirty needle in the United States, there's a whole protocol. You go to the ER, they do blood tests. It's a it's a whole mess. She stuck her finger. She kept going. On the fourth or fifth day, uh, something happened where we got delayed, and she was supposed to spend time with kids in the orphanage, and she freaked out and was crying and just like bawling and was a mess. And, and so yeah, so he. She didn't react at all to getting stuck with a needle, which I think I would have freaked out. But um, when it was time for just to show love to these kids that probably don't get any love, that's when it really impacted her. That's what impacted her. And that was that was kind of the, the story that Pastor Leo told that night. Yeah. All right. So a lot of you guys probably have heard a little bit about the encounter we had with a voodoo priest. Um, and if you haven't, it's probably at least for me, it's the craziest story of the trip um, and probably one of the craziest stories of my life. Um, I sort of have to rewind a little bit because I, I'm sort of thinking of the last days, but when we met him, I think it was because originally the group before us had gone to paint his house, the group before we, of missionaries when we got there. With, there's this girl, Madison, that she was sort of in charge of our missions group. So we had Christy from The Way, which she was in charge of us on behalf of The Way. But then we, met, we partnered with Mission of Hope, and our group leader for Mission of Hope was Madison. Um, so basically, we partnered up with her, and she was telling us about how the last group that came before us had gone to paint this voodoo priest's house. And she was sharing with us how the, the group was awesome and everything, but they were fearful, and they were scared to go in his house and pray for him and to sort of get to know him and stuff like that. So when we got there, we, were, we heard the story, and we were, I, I mean, at least I was. I was very enthusiastic about meeting him, and I was like, I was just excited to see what God could do there. So 
it was kind of weird because we met him and then he sort of was following us everywhere. And it was amazing to see how, how God was working in his life already. Just somebody came to paint his house, they showed him love, and that was the seed that was planted. And then we came and we watered it some more. And we did a bunch of projects where we did like, um, we painted people's houses and we planted trees and stuff like that. And it was amazing because he came along with us at all those sites. And there's some pictures that Rudy has as well where the voodoo priest, he's helping us plant trees and he's helping us paint people's houses. And we have worship music playing and we're all serving God and worshiping. And he's right there with us doing the same thing. And we're just like, this doesn't make any sense. This guy's serving God and he doesn't even know it. That's him in the red. And um, yeah, that's me and him. And he was wearing a gator shirt, so I was happy about that. <laughs> um, but it's amazing because it's something that you're, at least me in Miami, it was something that I was scared of. It's like when you think of somebody who does witchcraft or voodoo, you sort of think, oh, you got to stay away from that person. You don't know what could happen to you. You get very fearful and you start thinking all these things. But really, at the end of the day, he's a soul, he's a person. Um, and honestly, even not knowing Christ, he was a nice guy. We got along with him. He was our friend. We obviously, we, we were careful and we were watchful and we were in prayer the entire time. But um, it was just, I don't know, it was amazing to see. And then one of the days, what had happened was is that I heard that they were going to get a group together from, from our missions group to go to his house to pray. And it was going to be a very small group. And... In my mind, I was, I was just like, man, I really, really want to be part of that group. I knew it was only going to be like four people or five people. And I was just, the whole time, I don't know, I just kept thinking about it. I'm like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go to this guy's house. And I, I'm, I, don't know, I don't know why I was being crazy like that, because a lot of people in the group were like, I don't want to go to that guy's house. <laughs> and yeah, I guess I was the crazy one that was like, it said me. <laughs> um... But I didn't, I didn't say anything to Pastor Leo, and I knew it was going to be him and Chrissy's decision, and I, I kind of stayed quiet about it. I might have shared with a few friends, and I was like, man, I wish I could go, and, but I didn't share it to any of the leaders. And then um, one of the days, I think it was like Wednesday or something, Pastor Leo asked me, he said, I want you to be part of the group. And I was like, I'm ready, let's go. So we went to his house, and well, first of all, his house is across the street from his little voodoo sanctuary, I guess, where he does all the witchcraft. Um, and it's crazy because his house is a lot nicer than the other houses in the neighborhood. I mean, he's still poor, but he has like furniture set up in his house and you could tell he's generating a lot more money than everybody else in the neighborhood. So we, we go into, we walk into the room where he does the voodoo and all that and Pastor Leo is very bold. So he, he gets all up in his face and he's like, so show us, show us what, exactly what you do. Like, perform your, your, your ritual. And um, in that group, it was me, Pastor Leo, Berta, Rico's mom, and one or two other people from the way as, as well were with us. And um, it was amazing, because we walked into that room and we had no fear at all. In my mind on the way over there, I thought, I was thinking, I'm like, am I gonna be scared when I walk in the room? Am I gonna fear anything? And when I, when I walked in, I had, it was no fear at all. And I talked to everybody else in the group and none of us had any fear. And, and Pastor Leo tells, tells this guy, he says, okay, go start performing your, your ritual. So he takes out a candle and if Rudy could put the picture up, I guess of the little setup he has. 
<laughs> it's not that. Well, I just want to interrupt real quick. Yeah. Just so you guys get it. Like the reason that this is such a big deal is because the voodoo priest is like the center of the village, yeah. and everybody goes to him. You know, so like he has so much influence over not just the people right around, but over everybody that's around the area. So that's why, like to us, it was a big deal because by impacting that one man, it could potentially have such an impact on so many other people. I mean, when you think about yourself or the people here in this church, you know, I think about I think about Ali all the time because bringing Ali to to a church has changed so many people's lives. And, and it goes the same with this over there. You change this one man's life and you could change a thousand lives. You could change 10,000 lives. Mm -hmm. Yep. So basi basically that's his uh, little sub. And I wanna say also voodoo is something that's very real. I mean, we know that our God is real, but at the same time, that darkness does exist. And Satan just d does manifest himself in all their rituals and everything and heat. And part of what voodoo is, it's, it's Voodoo in Haiti is not the same as it is here. They don't do like the voodoo dolls and pinch them and stuff like that. That's kind of like New Orleans folklore kind of thing. Um, but they take on spirits and the spirits possess them and they put curses upon people. They kill people. They sacrifice animals. Um, when we walked into this room, you can't see it, but on the right-hand side, all the way to the far right, there was like a bench-looking thing and there was a white sheet over it. And I told Pastor Leo when we left, I'm like, I think that was a body, a human body in the room. And we walked into that room and the stench in that room, it smelled, I can't even begin to tell you what it smelled like. It smelled like death, but then at the same time, he, he knew we were going, so he kind of cleaned up a little bit, so it smelled a little bit like death and Clorox. <laughs> <laughs> and um, basically, that's his little setup in the corner, and um, he had these pictures on the wall. One of them looked like Jesus, and he was like sitting on a throne. You could kind of see it on, on the right, on the top. I mean, on the left, but the right picture. And then on the left side, there's like a picture of some woman-looking demon kind of thing. They have like a lot of different spirits that they call on and... Um, so let me ask you a question, because I'm anxious to know. So Pastor Leo went up to him and says, go ahead, show me. Show me what you do. What happened from there? So basically, Pastor Leo tells him, show, show us. And he takes out a candle and he tries to light it. And he's trying to light this candle, and he's trembling, and he, he can't do anything. So then Pastor Leo keeps, like, telling him, okay, now what? And he's, like, moving and fidgeting, and, and nothing's happening. And Pastor Leo keeps telling him, now what? And he takes out a little bowl with some blood, and he's, like, shaking, and, and Pastor Leo just kept saying, now what? And nothing was happening. He was just taking out all this stuff, and we were just like, okay, <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> um... So basically, we could, I don't know, I just got a sense from him that he was very, I don't know, I got the sense that just the power of God was there. And I've never experienced anything like that in my life where it was just so much darkness. But when we walked into that room, it was like a flood of light. And I'm going to share a scripture later. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but it relates to that. Um, but basically, at that moment, we just asked him if we could pray. And he's, he was very receptive. God's doing a big work in his heart, so he was all for prayer. We must have prayed for him like... 10 times on this trip. Like, he was, every time we were like, we want to pray for you, he was always open for it. Um, so at that moment, we were like, let's pray. And Pastor Leo led the prayer. We were all praying, and it was honestly probably one of the most powerful prayers I've ever experienced in my whole life. And um, I don't think I'll ever be able to say that I was in a room where they performed voodoo 
and we were praying such a powerful prayer. Um, it was really hot in that room. We were drenched in sweat, dripping sweat. Everybody was crying, praying in tongues. Um, Leo was yelling. It was just like, it was like, a, I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it. It was, it was warfare. And he, and, and it was just, uh, I'm just at a loss for words when I think of it. I almost don't even believe that it, that it happened, but, um, and I just remember at that moment, I was, I was in so, many, so much tears, and I was sharing a little bit with Regal that my biggest fear before this trip was that I wouldn't be able to love somebody like that. I, in my mind, I was like, how do you love somebody who's unlovable or somebody who, who practices such evil? Um, it's easy to, to feel sorry for them and stuff like that, but how do you have like a genuine love for a person like that? And at that moment, um, it was like God did a miracle in my own heart because I, the only thing I felt in that, while we were in that room was love. And I didn't feel anything else towards him. I didn't look at him with disgust. I didn't, I didn't look down upon him for what he was doing. I just, I, I really felt that God gave me his eyes and his heart. And I've never, that was, a, that was the biggest miracle for me on the trip. It wasn't anything that, that, that happened. It was that moment where my heart was completely transformed. And only, I just think about it and I'm like, man, God transformed my heart in a voodoo room. Like, it's, it's just, that's it's crazy. Um, that's good. God transformed my heart in a voodoo room. That's good. Now, now this, that's <laughs> a shirt, yeah. Now, now this voodoo priest um, hung out with you guys after this, followed you guys. Can you give us some of the stuff that ended up happening with him, to him? Um, I don't know who, which one of you guys want to share that. I'll continue sharing. Well, after that, he kept hanging out with us a lot, and, and I believe it was Saturday. Were you guys there? On, you guys were doing mobile clinic when, during the outreach service? Were you guys there? No. Well, Thursday. Well, there was a day that we, we led an outreach in the, at the local church in the, in the village, and that day we were praying. We were like, man, we want God to do something big, and and we invited everybody from the village to come to the church, and they did a skit, which in a few weeks they'll come, they're going to be coming and doing the skit here, so you guys will be able to see it. Um, but it was crazy. They did the skit. Um, there was about maybe like, I would say it's about the same size as, as this, the same amount of people. Um, and it was crazy because the service was very powerful. Pastor Leo preached, and at the end he opened up the altar. And he opened it up for salvation, for prayer, for family, and a, few, and a few things. And it was kind of awkward because when he opened it up, there was like a minute or two that went by and nobody went up. And in, in my mind, for a split second, I'm like, what a fail. Why isn't anybody going up? This was awesome. And another minute passed, and he walked up by himself. Or with, with his daughter, he was holding on to his little baby the girl. The voodoo priest. The voodoo priest. He was the first one up there. And that right there, for him, everybody in the village knows him. So for him to humble himself and go up and say, I, I need Christ or I need prayer is the most humbling thing you could do because he's the voodoo priest. Everybody knows him as that. So for him to humble, that was a, a big step in his life. And it was amazing because when he did that, the entire church followed. There was not one person that didn't go up to the altar call. So there's another picture you'll see. The entire church went up after him. So you could already see what an influence he is to that community. It, just his step, everybody else followed it. 
And it's amazing because he doesn't know he doesn't know a lot of English. He doesn't know any English at all. But every time we would talk to him, he would point at himself and he would say, Pastor John Pierre, Pastor John Pierre. And he was telling us that he, he feels in his heart that he's called to be a pastor. So God is doing a work there. I don't know what's going to happen in these few months, but I'll keep you guys posted because I'm sure we're going to be hearing updates on what happens. But it was powerful. Amen. Praise God. Want to share something from the medical? Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, we saw over 500 patients um, and there were 21 uh, people who accepted Christ during those four days. So that was pretty intense and the last day that I was there um, I was taking care of a little girl. I think I saw most of the babies and the pediatric patients since I'm a neonatal nurse, um, but there was a little girl who just broke my heart. Um, she was, you know, there walking, talking, didn't seem sick. I mean, if you would see her, you wouldn't think she was sick, but she was very disheveled looking, um, unkept, and right away I thought something's going on here. So I'm asking her questions with, of course, my translator, and I you know, I'm doing her assessment and I notice that there's a bite mark on her chest. And, you know, right there, I, a little light bulb comes on and I says, you know, who, what happened here? And she says, my mom bit me. <laughs> Just like, oh, this doesn't sound good. So I continue doing my assessment, scratches all over her neck, um, bite marks on her back, and just continuing on her chest, abdomen, and body. And that just kind of hit a sore spot in my heart. And I knew that um, clinically we could help her if, you know, had she been sick, but what resources are there to help somebody who's being physically abused? So. hard for me, knowing that I couldn't do anything for her. Yes, we did pray for her. Um, but yeah, I wanted to bring her home with me. And <laughs> um, but then we would have had too many children. <laughs> but anyway, um, so um, we, we did, we prayed for her and there was, I was part of the triage team so I made sure that, you know, the triage prayed for her, the practitioners prayed for her. We had a prayer group as part of the mobile clinic, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, everybody prayed for her. She did share her story, and she said to me that, you know, she's one of six siblings. Um, her father was not in the picture, so her mom would get frustrated, and this is how she would take out her frustration. Um, so that was very sad to me, and I know, like, her story, there's probably, you know, every other um, house in that village had a similar story because there is lack of education, and, um, I mean, I can't imagine having so little or no resources, 
um, for them. It was just very heartbreaking for me. But I have a picture of her, and I shared that because, um, like um, Lewis was saying, we went with Mission of Hope and their team also. And every day we would have a debrief to kind of see what we can do better, how they could improve so that when other teams of missionaries go to that site, they could be doing things better every time. So, and that was my request, you know, I said, we have to find some resources. We have to find a way to help these family and these kids, you know, because it's easy to, and I was sharing this with Adrian this morning, for me to be mad at that mom and say, you know, like it's her fault, but I can't, you can't be mad at her. She knows no better, you know, so there has to be somebody there to be able to teach these people how to cope, teach these people, you know, about just practicing safe, yeah, and discipline. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely emailing um, them this story and they requested a picture of her so I'm gonna send all that information to them so they could help her and help her family. I mean, I, I guess the part that impacted me the most was a similar situation where it was actually a neighbor who brought a little child who was limp, basically. Limp, not dressed. Um, there's a, there's a, a skin infection called yaws. It's similar to MRSA, like that superbug, um, that was eating all over his neck, all over his like pubic area, his legs. And this is the neighbor bringing this kid. This isn't even the child's mom. And there was, there was a couple of instances that happened like that. And, but there was one in particular where I just, again, for a second, you get angry at the person that's there. You get angry at the adult. And you wonder what's going on here. Um, I had to step outside. I had to step outside. Uh, I didn't know. Like, I just had so many racing thoughts at that moment. And, and you don't know what to do. And, and you're in a third world country. And there is no... DCF and there's nobody to call. Um, the good thing about Mission of Hope is that these people follow up. They do go back to these villages. Um, so we let them know about particular places and particular households. And what Mission of Hope does is they get the church involved and so that the church is the source of everything. So they don't depend on us as like these missionary tourists who come in and save the world and we leave. And so every time Americans come in, we're the saviors of them. No. The, they, they have it very structured and very they're very intelligent in the way they do it is that they have they, they do everything through the church so the church is a source of everything and so that way at least the people know that that is where you go to for help whether it's spiritual physical everything that that is what sustains them um, and I mean I'm sure I have like 50 stories I, I don't know if we're gonna wrap up right now are you gonna ask us questions or Okay, I guess the main thing that I wanted to share was, I'll give you an insight into my life. And I hate, I don't know why I get emotional. God has made me an emotional man, and that is the way I am. Um, when I talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, I don't get so emotional, but when I'm up here, it just, 
it gets me going. Um, like Lewis said, I've been on these missions before. Uh, and I'm gonna stand up because I think it's just easier. I, I run into issues, and first of all, God is cruel sometimes because my mom makes me wear this whenever she has a party in her house, and I hate it, and then you guys stack this up on my neck, and I leave them over time, and I'm like, you know, I hate this, right? She's like, yeah, I know, and she smiles at me. <laughs> and it's my mom right there. Thank you for coming, Mom. I'm going to give you some insight into my Christian life. My Christian life has gone something like, it's, peaks, it's been peaks and valleys. Um... I go on a mission like this, or I have an experience in a retreat, and I'm up here. Time passes, and those sentiments and that feeling weans. It goes away, because a lot of this is emotional, right? Not that loving on people isn't important, but... I see what God does in my life, and then I take it for granted. Because we come back here when we get comfortable. Um, we're blessed, yes. But then, you know, God starts fading further and further and further into the background, right? Um, but then I hit a wall. Something happens in my life, and I'm back on my knees again. And this cycle has continued. I mean, this trip showed me that. It showed me that cycle, that, that thing that I've gotten into in my walk, um, how it's affected me, how it's affected the people I love. So although I'm on an emotional high right now, and everything is fresh in my mind. Not too long ago, I met with Regal, and he told me, guard your heart. You're not guarding your heart. Um, and I'm, that's staying with me. I'm going to guard my heart. Because as soon as I start letting all these things creep in, it's when I find myself drifting and then somehow playing catch-up again. Like the tortoise and the hare. I'm the freaking hare. I sprint, I'm way ahead of the race, I'm awesome. All of a sudden, I'm real relaxed, and everybody else is slow and steady, passing me by. And um, if there's anything that I got from this trip, is that, is that, this might have been a little sprint or a little burst of speed, but I just want to sustain. That's it. I just want to sustain. I want to stay constant with with God, I want to stay constant in what he's done and, and constantly remind myself what he's done in my life and not let all of this and the confetti get me too hyped up. You know, because it feels great. I mean, it felt great to have you guys come and welcome us and to celebrate and to have Armando do it by mistake and set off the fireworks. <laughs> should've, you should have seen him. We freaked out for a second. <laughs> but... um. I've seen how much it can affect our lives when we start to drift. So just, I don't know what, 
if that says anything to any of you guys, but I mean, I'm just speaking from the heart, guys. Yeah, thank you for your, for your honesty. And um, I'm glad you shared that because it's going to lead me to my, my last question that my only question that I was going to ask you guys after you guys are done. I'll, I'll let Lucia and then and you kind of answered it for yourself. Thank you. All right. Um, that was awesome, Adrian. <laughs> um, I wanted to share just one last thing regarding the voodoo priest. Um, I was thinking a lot about why I didn't experience fear or why none of us experienced fear when we were in, in that room. And it was funny because Christy, which is the leader of the group at The Way, she asked on the last night that I share, um, as we had a little devotional at night and we all got together. And it was funny because God gave me a verse and it, it makes so much sense to exactly what happened in that situation. Um, and Rudy will put it up there. It's 1 John 4.18. And it says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So that just made me think of myself and also the voodoo priest. Because me, I didn't experience fear because I was experiencing that perfect love. But at the same time, the voodoo priest is on the other side of it, where he was experiencing fear. He was the one trembling. And that's because he has that fear of punishment. So when I read that scripture, it just it blew my mind because I'm like, that's exactly what happened in that room. And right now, it's true what Adrian says. It's, it's an emotional thing. We're on such a high. Like right now, I'm like, let's get a group together and let's just go to little Haiti and walk around and get all the voodoo priests and let's snatch them out. And <laughs> We were talking about that, actually. And honestly, we should be doing stuff like that. Obviously, with fasting and prayer, and it's very serious, but why does it have to be in Haiti? It could be here in Miami. And not only that, I was telling Rigo, it's not just voodoo priests and, and people that deal with witchcraft. It's people in our own church that need help and prayer and, and that are going through serious things. And we have a mission field right here. As we gather every Sunday, we, this is a mission field. And we're all in it with each other. And pretty much what I wanted to, last thing I wanted to share. Praise God. Thank you guys for your honesty. Can we give them a hand? God's good. Man. You know, Adrian um, shared, he answered this question before, before I asked it, and, and I'll ask it to the other two. And I think we're hearing the answers, and I think Lou kind of just answered it. And the question was, how did this experience in Haiti just affect your ministry here? How did it affect it here? Now, and how did it affect your love for the Lord? Um, would any of you want to just quickly just expound on that? And this is. Um, well, I always thought I had a relationship with God, and I mean, it's not that it was just a thought. I, I knew I had a relationship with God, um, but I think in this trip, during this missions trip, I became closer to Him. I think now, like, I see worship being completely different than how I saw it previously. Um, and yeah, it is, I, I am on that high that they talk so much about. And, but our last services, we were talking about how we're going to continue this, like how we're not going to let that emotion kind of die out. And I think to answer your question, Pastor Rigo, um, just being 
closer to the church, just doing more things, being at the women's meetings, um, going to retreats, and just being more involved with the church. I think for me, it's more what I was saying that I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep praying that God replaces fear with love. And also so I could just be more intentional on in how, I, how I do ministry, how I do things. Because over there, everything was very strategic. And that's what they called it, strategic village time. And everything was very intentional in how you did ministry. And um, I just feel that God has given me a new set of eyes towards people. And not just people who are poor, just maybe people who are poor in spirit or who are broken. Um, I have a whole different view of people. And I just pray it last because I know it could be emotional. It could be for right now or next week or next month. But I don't know how I'm going to feel in a few months. If I'm going to remember or think about it once in a while or if it's going to be a lasting change. But that's what I'm praying for. <laughs> um, I guess for me, it's um, there's a sign at my job that says, and I always thought it was an awesome sign. You know, It says, preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. And I thought it was good too. I did. But this trip made me think of that sign. And I thought two things. I thought, you need to use words. Because if not, you're just a humanitarian. Mm -hmm. um, you're doing a good deed. And that's it. People need to hear the word. They need to. Because the same way that it changed your life, your life, your life, your life, it's going to change somebody else's life. And if we just muzzle ourselves, and then, then we're just mute. And we're humanitarian people, period. Um, so it's just not using my words, but feeding myself the word. I'm going to ask them to stay here as we wrap up. And um, oh, wait, I wanted to say one more thing. I'm sorry. Can we share next week too? No, no. <laughs> Only because this was huge. This was huge. This was huge. On the trip, there was actually, there was 45 people. The women were in two rooms, filling two rooms. Two rooms. The men were in one. All of the volunteers at this place, 90% were women. Looking around the church right now, I think there's a lot more women than men. I don't know. I'm just kind of glancing over. That says something. I mean, I don't know if men just want to be macho or masculine, and, but I don't know what it is. But men need to step up. And when there's another trip or when there's a men's meeting, and I speak for myself, men need to step up. We need, and it doesn't have to be that we get together and just like do worship in here by ourselves. No, let's get together. Let's play ball. Let's, let's get in each other's heads. And that way when we sit down and we have a conversation about God, that we can be real with each other. And I think that's going to help us individually as people, as, as family men, as fathers. Um, that's it. That, I'm done for real. <laughs> you're, you're saying good things, so we won't mute the mic just in case you got. And he's and it's true because 
when we have vision night, it's packed with women. When we have leaders meetings, it's packed with women. And um, sometimes men ask me, the men need to step up. And I said, right, it starts with you. Step up. And um, thank you. I-, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place today. I feel God's presence at church today. Among his people. He's inhabited upon the praises, upon the testimonies. This word came to my heart, and I want to share it because it's, we're familiar with it. When I was speaking with them, and Lou was sharing some of the things with me, I said, now you know how the disciples felt, right? They, they lived every day like this. Village to village, just doing God's work, casting out demons. Peter preached one day, all right, 3,000 get saved, let's baptize them. I mean, just crazy insane stuff. Paul was walking one day. A sorcerer girl came up to her. Started just harassing Paul. And Paul was like, I rebuke all those demons in you. After like a certain amount of days, he was fed up with her. Says he got annoyed. He got annoyed. And and he wasn't scared. He wasn't filled with fear. He was bold. He was like, you know what? Demons come out. And the, the lady was casted. All demons were casted out of her. She was made well. And the people that made money off her came to Paul and Silas, and we're like, what the heck did you do? You, you stole our money from us. She doesn't have the power to fortune tell anymore. And they threw them in prison. And then the Satan thought he won. But little did he know, God was going to create an earthquake. God was going to open up doors and rip open chains. All the prisoners kind of came out like, what the heck just happened? The jailer fell asleep. When he woke up, he saw the prison doors open. Everyone's out of their cells, and they're getting nervous. And he gets the sword ready to kill himself, to fall on the sword. And Paul's like, don't do it. We're all here and we're all accounted for. And none of us are going to leave. What a cool story because Paul ministers to that man, speaks his word, the word to him. That man accepts Jesus Christ. His whole household gets saved. He begins to serve Christ. I'm, I'm telling you that. That if you just exercise God and exercise the things of God, you'll be amazed at what shows up. And what God can do. And I share, I want to share this story. Because Peter and John, Jesus had resurrected. Jesus is gone. And now what? Well, let's go to church. And they're going up to the temple. It's the hour of prayer. And it's the ninth hour. And a man was lame from birth. And from birth he had been carried to the temple. And they laid him daily at the gate at the temple that is called the beautiful gate. And he would ask for money of all those entering the temple when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple he asked to receive alms money from them I love this Peter directed his gaze at him so did John and both of them said look at us I I like that because I thought about Pastor Leo in the story like what are you going to do now next what's next what now what now and these both guys are like hey look at me look at me So he fixed his attention on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. I like that. Expecting to receive something from them. And I get it. I've been to church with that attitude, right? I'm just going to go to church expecting to receive something from God, right? And God is like, no, I'm expecting to receive something from you. I've been there. I understand that. But Peter said, I don't have anything that you expect. Have you ever been there? You've come to church. And you're expecting something and then you walk out of here on a Sunday like, 
I didn't receive anything I expected. How many of you have left here like that? Left the presence of God like that? So Peter and John were like, we don't have anything you expect. I don't have no silver, no gold. But look what he does. Look what they do. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. And I give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Just rise and walk. It's an amazing story. Because what's happening here is they couldn't give them anything that they were expecting. But opening conversation, it opened up the door for them to give them something else that this man didn't expect that day. This man went expecting money. You probably came today expecting just to hear a couple stories. But some of you are going to leave here today not just expecting stories, experiencing Jesus. And that's, that's why we live. We don't live for any other reason but to give Jesus to people. That is the main focus of why we live. You love God and you're loving people and you're sharing that love of God towards people. That man's life was changed, transformed. I didn't keep reading but you know, the next few verses says he clung to Peter. He clung to him like I'm not leaving your side. You changed me. Through discipleship and all that this man was changed but he goes into the temple and everyone's freaked out. Like, isn't this the man that since he was a kid has been begging for money? And now he's fine. And he has a story to tell. The one who's made me well, his name is Jesus. And you came here today and you heard three individuals share the story of Haiti. Some of you maybe you didn't come expecting anything. Some of you maybe you did come expecting but wherever you're at right now, maybe you're, maybe you just need a physical healing. Like, I, I, don't, I don't mess around when I say this. I know that God can heal you. I know that. I know he can. Maybe your soul needs healing. I know God can heal your soul. Some of you are so broken and hurt. I know God could heal that right now. Is there a certain amount of classes? Is there some sort of healing seminar? I know churches that do deliverance classes. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to introduce you to deliverance savior. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I know he could deliver. I know he could heal. I know he could save. I know he could restore. I know whatever's broken, he could mend back. And I'm going to ask these three to do this today. We're going to stand and we're going to worship the Lord and I pray that you open up your heart. But, but if you need prayer today and you need some sort of healing and you're like this beggar, like I, I just need, I came expecting and today you recognize that it's Jesus. I'm not going to ask anyone here to pray for you. I don't want anyone and I'll, and, and I'll, and I'll graciously say stop praying for people. I'm going to ask them three if they could pray over you guys. If they could pray for you. And they can lay hands on you. Maybe you need to be saved. When you come up to them say, I need Jesus in my heart. Tell them. I need healing for this sickness. Or even if you have a family member who deals with witchcraft. We see it yes. in Miami. It might not be voodoo. It might be Santeria. It might be anything. If you want to pray for those You tell them. Members. And I want them to pray for you. Maybe your heart is broken. Tell them. Tell them. Don't be embarrassed. Say, my heart's broken. If you don't want to say what it is, just say, my heart is broken. Pray for healing. My mind. I need my thoughts right. I need my my soul right I need my body right I need my family member to to let go of this whatever it is I'm going to ask you to to open up your heart so, so let's get ready to worship and I'm going to pray real quick
as we get ready to worship, if you feel in your heart to come up for prayer as we get ready to end, I'm going to ask you to do that. But Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful Sunday that you've given us. I come to you, Lord God, not expecting something like the beggar, but, but Lord, just in awe of who you are. And Lord, I know that at the end of the day, I don't need gold and I don't need silver. And I don't need more of this or more of that. I know that at the end, what I really need is more of Jesus. And that is the answer of all my problems. And Lord, I pray that today you would be the answer to everyone's problem here. That, that you would heal that heart. That you would, that you would cast out demons from family members, from maybe certain people in here. That you would heal the soul that, is, that has been crushed. That the heart that has been shattered. The, the thoughts that have been impure or the body that has been sick, that you would just move upon this altar in such a mighty way as we worship you. So Lord, we're going to lift up your name today just because it's true. It's your name we lift higher and higher. It's your praises that we're going to cry out louder and louder. And as we do that, more of Jesus in our lives. So today, if you need prayer, I'm going to open up the altar and I'm going to ask you to come up here and say, this is what I need. Pray for me. And we're going to pray for you today. They're going to pray. And they're going to lay hands. And we're going to believe in faith that God is more than able. He is powerful. And He can today do miracles in your life. So if you need that miracle, you need that touch, come. And let them pray for you. And the rest of you, let's worship the Lord together.